welcome back to the Equipoise podcast. Today's episode, Examining the Landscape. At the risk of overdoing it on the prefatory and preliminary side, I want to take the time to discuss our scope in this mini-series before jumping into the actual content so we can discuss this topic with the excellence it deserves. There's so much intricacy to this discussion and so many rabbit holes in which to deeply delve and lose ourselves. As a result, I've had to severely narrow my scope to fit within the time constraints and episode limit that I've imposed upon myself. So, while there will be several aspects to this discussion that I'm going to have to pass over, I hope to engage in the more consequential parts of the discussion, even if limited to only a cursory perusal. For instance, I won't be delving too deeply into the natures of the different codices, textual variants, manuscripts, and editions of those manuscripts, and so on. We'll touch on them, especially as we get into the manuscript history of the King James translation, but I cannot give all of them a proper treatment in the time we have together on this topic. So then what will we be discussing? Well, as mentioned last week, my goal in this podcast is to expose the fallacies and false assumptions that undergird most arguments supporting the King James-only movement. In short, I want to show why the vilification and rejection of the newer translations is ill-founded and based on bad information. To this end, I'll be addressing common objections and arguments usually encountered in this discussion, and I'll be exposing some things held as facts to be, well, non-factual. I'll be spending today's episode essentially defining terms and limiting my scope to dismantling the arguments of certain factions of the King James-only movement, the ones I believe to be the most widespread, disadvantageous, and disingenuous. Wait, you might say, there's certain camps and differences within this movement itself? Absolutely. You see, despite our culture's current obsession with brevity and truncation, this topic is not nearly as black and white or simple as it is often portrayed by either side. Not everyone who would identify themselves as King James only have the same reasons, arguments, or even positions within that nomenclature itself. As a result, some of the positions within the King James Version only movement are much more logical, sound, and intellectually honest than others. So it behooves us to dedicate the time and care to properly explore the nuanced range of positions within the movement itself. While any list of categories always has outliers and those who fall in between two labels, here's a fairly encompassing, if not oversimplified, list of the different positions within the King James Version only movement. Number one, preferential. This category describes those who prefer the King James Version. Naturally, even within this category, there are some different levels of preference ranging from it's familiar to me all the way to it's the only one I trust. Those in this category are often, but not always, former KJVO-ers who have since learned the truth about biblical transmission and have shed some of the false assumptions or bad logic and have, as a result, softened their stance on the KJV. Also, it could be those who haven't really studied the issue out, but perhaps were raised reading the KJV. Either way, these men and women are in the preferential category as they still have either textual, trust-related, appreciative, or even nostalgic reasons for preferring this translation. Now, I don't expect this podcast will ruffle the feathers of those who fall into this category. This is because I have no problem with folks who prefer the KJV for sound reasons. As a result, this category is not part of the scope of this miniseries. Number two, revelatory. 
On the complete opposite end of the spectrum, there's what I call the revelatory category. Not too many folks fall into this category anymore, but some do, sometimes unwittingly. This sect still exists in some small churches, but thankfully doesn't seem to be anywhere near where it was in terms of prominence back in the days of Peter Ruckman and company. This splinter group of sorts believes that the King James translation actually improves upon the text from which it came, uh, thus forcing other texts into obsolescence and irrelevance. It is often called double inspiration, since they believe that God inspired the original document and then re-inspired in the translation process into the King James Version. If you think this sounds a bit batty, you're right. Thankfully, most folks think this is insane. (laughs) And it's about on the same level as those who say if you don't get baptized in a Baptist church by a Baptist pastor who can trace his church lineage back to the apostles, you're not truly regenerated. And yes, I know a man who believes this. A pastor, no less. Anyways, as one might imagine, this view, also called Ruckmanism, is not part of the scope of this mini-series. I don't have time to engage in straitjacket-worthy foolishness. Number three, textual. This sect is toward the middle of the spectrum of the KJVO movement, where most KJVOers hang out. This group believes that out of the various lines of manuscript tradition, there exists one pure line, unbroken and unchanged since the original documents. If you've ever heard the terms Textus Receptus or TR or Received Text or Byzantine or Byzantine Text or Majority Text, these are generally the terms that these folks use when speaking of the text that they believe are the correctly preserved and therefore inspired documents. I recognize that to many this is an oversimplification, but I'm challenged by the clock and there's a lot to discuss here, so I'm saving it for an episode down the road. The other text lines, by the way, they maintain were corrupted, either accidentally or purposefully. You might hear terms such as Alexandrian or minority text or Vaticanus or Sinaiticus or Nestlea Land when speaking with those in this group about the manuscripts they believe are erroneous. Those who are in this textual category are sometimes, but not always, open to an update to the King James Version and are even sometimes, but less often, open to entirely new translations, as long as they are translated exclusively from their preferred text that they believe is the proper preservation of the inspired originals. For this reason, one would think that the NKJV or the MEV would suffice since they are translations of the preferred text, but these translations are almost always seen as insufficient, errant, or even diabolical, to quote one popular KJVO advocate. So the key here is that while this group would probably prefer to be considered TR only, or Masoretic text only, or Byzantine text only, or any other number of variants, they are still KJV only in practice since no other translation from their preferred text have met muster for most of these adherents. This group is within the scope of this miniseries. Number four, Imperial. This last group is similar to textual, but with about 16 cups of espresso and a sleepless night. This group makes the staggering leap from a relatively more reasonable textual position over to a more Anglo-superior and imperialistic view that in addition to the original manuscripts and their alleged perfectly preserved copies, God also inspired the process by which the King James Version was translated, thus making the King James Version the only inspired Bible for today. Now, within this faction, there are variants, some willing to acknowledge the inherent racism and xenophobia involved in saying that only English-speaking people had the Bible, (laughs) will now say the King James Version is the only inspired Bible for English-speaking people. Thankfully, in their mercy, they've decided that Spanish-speaking people and Japanese-speaking people get to go to heaven, too. Um, Though often, as a mere concession, still citing the superiority of the King James Version. Others, however, go further and come awfully close to the revelatory view I mentioned earlier, but stop just barely short. 
Here's what I mean. I mentioned in a previous podcast um, titled The Word of God, Why Getting It Right Matters, that I met with a group of pastors who, to my surprise, believed that the person of Jesus and the King James Version of the Bible were to be exalted equally. This was based on a faulty reading of Psalm 138, verse 2. Now, if you think this sounds blasphemous, you're right, it is. But I already addressed that, and I also mentioned another belief of theirs that I didn't delve into then, but I will now. You might recall in this meeting I was flabbergasted to hear that these pastors believed the following about the King James Version of the Bible, which I double-checked with them for accuracy by repeating their belief back to them to assure that I wasn't caricaturing their belief. Here's what they said. The English King James Bible is the only inspired Bible for today, period. Other people groups need to learn English in order to have God's inspired word without error, end quote. They went on to bolster their position by stating that it's not Americans who are learning Chinese, it's the Chinese who are learning English, end quote. Not only is this not true, but it's ignorant beyond comprehension. This should go without saying, but this view is a dangerous concoction of chronological and geographical snobbery mired in devilish arrogance and a dash of subtle racism. Because of the short leap for many from the textual position to this imperial position, this is included in the scope of this miniseries, but only briefly. I have only so many pearls to cast in the general direction of this swill. So that about does it. There's the four views. It's definitely not simple. Simple, but amidst the complexity, I hope that we'll arrive at an equipoised position, able to properly, calmly, and honestly explain, defend, and share our positions. Next week, we'll hit the gas a bit and head forward into the fray. Until next time, stay balanced. Stay balanced.